Welcome to What The F Fertility, the podcast and community for those thinking about having a baby, actively trying to have a baby, those struggling or maybe having treatments, wherever you are in the journey, then this podcast is for you. I'm Pips. I'm Alex. And I'm Maddie. And I have to say, ladies, I cannot believe that we are here and finally we are doing this. It's been over two years, hasn't it, of us making this. Just whilst we've been on such a hell of a journey, each of us, uh, it really has been a total roller coaster, hasn't it? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's been two years. But yeah, and we have literally been asking what the F at every stage, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) But we have become so passionate about this subject and it's so important that we want to talk about it and share it with you, which is why we've created this podcast, haven't we, ladies? Yeah. Absolutely. And what the F, we've got a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So each week we will be bringing you interviews with fertility experts and I'll be on hand as your resident fertility nutritionist, sharing top tips on the little things that can help us along the way. So we just want to share our stories really briefly of why we're doing this. Uh, So I was diagnosed with low ovarian reserve and discovered that I don't have many eggs for my age. My levels were too low for IVF on the NHS, but we just kept trying. I was due to start IVF. Miraculously, I actually fell pregnant naturally, but sadly I had a miscarriage. And after doing everything in my power and no doctor will tell you it's possible, I managed to increase my levels and I now have my toddler Louie and another baby on the way. Yay. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Mads, how about you? Yeah, so I'm currently at the crossroads where um, I'm really seriously considering whether to end my fertility journey. I've been on a long break over a year now, and I have to say it was really well needed. I was deep in the trenches for over four years. I've had nine miscarriages, two rounds of IVF, two rounds of ICSI, and even one donor egg IVF cycle. Along this way, I've been diagnosed with immune issues as well as endometriosis and adenomyosis. I've had the endo treated with surgery, yet still I can't quite make that decision as whether I have just one last try. You've been through so much, Maddie. Yeah, and, I, and like I said, I don't know whether just to say it was a ride and I end it. So we'll we'll figure it along the way. So for those that don't know, Maddie's my sister um, and my story quite different. So my partner and I, we were trying for a baby for over two years and we were just getting nowhere. We were sent for tests and it was through these tests that we discovered that both my fallopian tubes are blocked which means that IVF was the only solution. So after one failed attempt, we did get pregnant. And now I have two-year-old toddlers, Marnie and Phoenix. It's all so different. And I think that's also why it's so important that we felt we wanted to create this because we all have such distinctive journeys and stories to share. So we really hope that What the Fertility can bring you some light and some hope wherever you are on your journey. So this week on What the F Fertility, we are joined by Olivia Musa, who is the founder of the Male Fertility Clinic. Now, the clinic's been going for two and a half years and provides semen analysis for men in a comfortable space. The Male Fertility Clinic absolutely advocate and sing from the rooftops about lifestyle, nutrition, holistic treatments and supplements. Yeah, and they champion themselves in the fact that often there is something that could be done to try and improve sperm health and male fertility naturally before going straight into IVF. 
the male fertility clinic work the number of practitioners for their services, but ultimately they want to be the place for guys to go get tested, treated um, in the natural holistic sense and to be a place to feel heard and seen and valued along this journey, which is so important because, because you know, there's so much emphasis placed on the women, but actually, you know, it takes two to tango, two to make a baby. Um, so yes, the, the male's journey is just as important. Absolutely. Well said, Mads. And Olivia, so welcome to What the F Fertility. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. We've heard a little bit about the clinic, but what was it that made you found the Male Fertility Clinic? A a multitude of reasons, really. You know, my background working in private IVF centres, NHS hospitals as well, and their fertility departments. It was just glaringly obvious for me, you know, quite early on in my career that there was a real gap for men. Obviously, men are involved in the process, but quite often, you know, there'll be a a range of fertility tests which are done for women. There may even be an IVF protocol that's decided before they've even looked at the semen analysis, you know, and it doesn't make sense that things are run that way. And also, you know, semen analysis is just one of the things which can be done. Um, So also noticing that you know, it doesn't just stop there. Let's try and create a centre where men are informed about the other kinds of tests that they can have done, you know, things which may benefit them in the long run, so that, you know, IVF isn't their only option. But also, that you know, the environments that I was working in, you know, quite often it would be, you know, really busy, crowded corridors, and they've just got this very awkward room that they've got to go in. And it's just not nice, is it? It's just, it's just not nice. It just felt like they just weren't okay. catered for at all. So, um, yeah, it's almost like... You know, when you see something being done, you know that you can do, go above and beyond, but your hands are a little bit tied because you're working within an organisation and just knowing that you can do something better and knowing that you can make a difference to people's lives. I think that was just, that was the motivator to to do it. Um, so it was on my mind for a long time. Lockdown happened and everything. Um, but yeah, eventually got started in, in 2021. Amazing. Ever since, yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. And I think you just really hit the nail on the head. It, it's such a hard sterile environment to like you know produce a semen sample and I suppose whilst we're on the the subject of semen what would you say you know are the most important factors with regards to like sperm and male fertility in your opinion yeah of course obviously there are a wide number of things um you know generally there are many lifestyle factors which which we'll, we'll go into, you know, the obvious things sort of diet and nutrition. Um, you know, obviously, if somebody's smoking or drinking excessively, then we need to think about how that may impact them. Age is a factor for men, although not, you know, not in the sharp way that it affects women, but there is certainly um, that factor there. I have so to say at- that does surprise me on the age, because I always thought mm. that actually men, you know, it was they could go on and on having kids right up into their sort of 70s and 80s. And some people do. Some people do. And I think there are a lot of sort of men, you know, celebrities in the press and they, I think it was Gordon Ramsay just the other day. I think he's 57. And um, so he's had a baby. I mean, (laughs) it's true that a man can technically father a baby at any age, but we have to then think about 
what might be the repercussions, you know, later in life. Um, you know, it's the same for, for women. If, if you're over a certain age, you might need to be screened for, for certain things, um, mm-hmm. sort of Down syndrome and, and conditions like that, which are linked to maternal age. And it's very much the same for, 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 for men as well. So even if you've got the sperm, you know, we've got to be thinking about the quality of those as well. And then also, you know, if, if somebody's experienced testicular issues, um, you know, there may be, you know, physical ailments we may see. Um, so varicocele is a really common one. So swelling or inflammation um, within the testicles. If you've had a previous infection or, um, you know, something like mumps. Also steroid abuse in, in young guys in, in the gym, you know, things like that. So, yeah, there's there's a number of things. We kind of ask a few basic questions when people come in, but quite often they'll open up about. You've spoken about smoking. And vaping, that is still such a popular pastime. If you're looking at a semen analysis, could you tell if someone is a smoker or a vapor? Is there a parameter that sort of really gets compromised? Is it something that you often see? Or are there people that can smoke and it doesn't affect their sperm quality? <laughs> a bit of both, actually. And right. quite frust- it can be a bit frustrating then when you, you, you see all of the tick 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 on the street and you think oh dear and obviously we all know people that are falling pregnant they smoke they drink they're not living you know this kind of perfect fertile life but that you know that can happen but on the other hand what we can see in people that smoke and drink is a rise in white blood cells so you can actually see uh, white blood cells in the semen Um, and that's just a response to the inflammation you know which is caused by smoking alcohol as well so that can present in some people but mm. not necessarily all of them <laughs> men really do have as much responsibility as as we do to to be living like saints where possible <laughs> so, but how much does alcohol really affect sperm health is that a really big factor because you know i know obviously mads for for women and especially it can really affect your your fertility and we've we've touched upon that in in other episodes but what about for for the men So for men, I've just looked into some recent studies, actually, because a lot of the studies out there are a little bit contradictory. Um, But what the recent evidence is showing is that less than seven units a week is generally okay, as then it it won't affect the main sperm parameters. It may affect testosterone levels, um, you know, drinking around seven units or or less a week. But when you go over that level, you can notice a decrease, um, you know, in the sperm parameters that we assess um, and also the semen volume as well, um, which is an, an important factor. So generally speaking, you know, People ask about alcohol. I don't think you have to go completely teetotal. I'm not sure if maybe a dietitian or nutritionist would uh, you know, say something else. But generally, I just try to say to people, keep it less than five units a week, no binging. Um, but you don't have to kind of suck all the joy out, out of your life. You know? <laughs> yeah, it does feel, it does really feel, doesn't it, at some points that you're, you know, all the joy is is gone, all the fun stuff's out, yeah, out the window. Yeah. And I, I think that's really like hard. more difficult to stick to then, isn't mm. it? Um, you know, at least if you know, okay, maybe on the weekend I can look forward to having a glass of wine that maybe would be easier to stick to than just going completely teetotal. Mm. I think so yeah. as well. So many myths around like male sperm health. There's things that we always hear about, things like hot baths, cycling, like excessive cycling, maybe having your phone like in your pocket near your, your testicles. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much of this 
is something we need to be aware of how much this makes a real impact yeah a little bit of light onto those areas yeah I think a lot of these things people do put them under this myth myth category but actually I think Mm -hmm. there is a lot to be said especially for heat that you mentioned um if you actually observe sperm under the microscope that have been heated by just a few degrees they will begin to disintegrate and 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 stop moving yeah so you know the testicles are on the outside of the body purposely and perfectly designed you know in order to keep the sperm cooler than the temperatures on the inside of the body um so yeah it it is one of those things to definitely be conscious of obviously it's not always controllable variant depending on what you might do for work um but generally trying to keep the area cool as much as possible you know avoiding hot baths and uh saunas and steam room use is is definitely something I tell to my patients quite often the sauna and steam room use comes into it comes into play when people are going to the gym regularly so it's like a nice little treat afterwards um but yeah Yeah. something to avoid if uh if if trying for a baby I'd say I was going to say just touching on upon um you talking about heat is actually you can buy sort of ice packs for your sack how do I not know about this yeah you can buy things little inserts for your your boxer shorts it is something actually that I have recommended Mm -hmm. if I know people are doing lots of exercise I know their sort of internal core temperature might be a bit hot is you know getting some ice on the on the balls can yeah every little helps doesn't (laughs) it I'll give it a go (laughs) like a sack protector (laughs) is that that what it is yeah Um, we we touched on cycling if you're cycling an awful lot can it affect sperm health yeah that cycling is um one of those things it's difficult to advise on because i know obviously it's so beneficial for other areas of, of of health and it helps people with their mental health and it's got to be getting on the tube right you know and being in a sort of polluted environment commuting to work but i think the problem is spending too much time on the bicycle. Um, first of all, if you're wearing lycra and, and tight fitting clothes and how that might impact the testicular area, um, but also the amount of time spent on the saddle and how that may impact your prostate as well, because the prostate is is also involved um, in the sperm production. So some cycling, and I, I do speak to a lot of men who are quite involved in ultramarathons and Ironman competitions and things. So they're cycling and training at quite extreme levels which um i don't think is something which can be um consistently encouraged but a, a bit of cycling throughout the week everything in moderation isn't it it's yeah. um, you know you shouldn't be too extreme in one area or the other really so so for you when you're looking at it so you're you're working with people who are, do these ultra marathons i'm just so interested do you see from their sperm test um that they are compromised in certain an area is that kind of like a trend that you're seeing yeah it tends to do more harm than good I think that extreme level of training um the amount of stress it may put on the body quite often people are also um maybe on a bit of a restrictive diet um you know Mm. in in uh, sort of collaboration with this um excess training they may that may be impacting their sleep quality or their you know their stress levels um so yeah quite often in consultation if they bring up that they've been you know training like that it's not a surprise um you, you can see no. it reflected in in the semen analysis yeah wow that's so, so interesting. interesting yeah it is, yeah. Isn't it? 
I just want to talk about kind of basic supplements because I know that obviously we've spoken about lifestyle effectors that can negatively impact sperm health. But in terms of when you're trying for a baby, what can women be encouraging men to do and what can men who are listening be like oh I'm going to take this what can improve sperm health because I know there are also basic supplements uh Tom for example my husband he took Proceed for men for a long time and there's lots of different ones out there but what basic ingredients do we need for men there's a uh, there's a ton of supplements out there isn't it it's a bit of a minefield for for guys and um quite often we find women are really great at taking their supplements but men are not so great so we kind of starting off from a, a, a blank sheet but I would say on a, on a basic level um, zinc and selenium which are you know main components involved in healthy sperm production also antioxidants in there so um, you know you need your vitamin d vitamin c vitamin e combating op- oxidative stress so when we think about damage um, that's occurring to the cells um, you know there may be an imbalance there between antioxidant production in the body and, and, and levels of free radicals so that's why it's really important to make sure that your your supplementing there there's other great ingredients like coq10 really really powerful um and an omega-3 is also really really good folic acid is one of the things which is mentioned amongst women i think it's the thing that gps kind of say you know go and take your folic acids not only should men and women be taking it but also making sure that they're taking folate which is the more bioavailable source of of folic acid so just looking for a really good quality i'd say and you know checking the ingredients um and and not just sort of picking up the cheapest thing that you find on on the high street they they can be quite basic sometimes they might have fillers or um you know additives in there so making sure that you're just going for a good quality one but yeah they're they're quite good you know a lot of more premium brands i'd say there's lots of uh, ingredients in there so at least you can be sure that you're taking you know one or two a day whatever it says on the bottle that you're getting everything that you need in there and we do have some guys they want to go for a more herbal route you know so people look at things like maca root and ashwagandha and and sea moss and various functional mushrooms and things like that um which i don't dismiss at all um you know i, I love all of that but yeah again so much research out there and you know different yeah. kind of i think the thing is with fertility if something works for someone you're willing to give it a go right whatever the latest trend might be or you know whatever testimonial you might see so it is completely a minefield but i suppose as well if in any doubt speak to someone you know in in the field speak to a nutritional therapist and you can you can also have uh, tests run to see if you are deficient in any particular nutrition uh, nutrients before you know going on to a supplement love that this is all such great advice so Liz, when should the men be going for a sperm test generally i would say if you've not conceived within six months that would be you know a good point to go and get things checked out if people are coming to us after a year or maybe 18 months or two years sometimes um mm. i think by then they're in a much more stressful um, state sometimes. You know, the emotions of the infertility are there. And I, I think getting checked out earlier is probably the best way to, to go about it. Um, as time's going on, we are finding more and more people having more of a preemptive check and just being curious about their fertility, which I think is great because then it puts you in a position where you've learned all of this information, you've learned what you can do to optimise sperm quality and hopefully that puts you in a position to um, 
you know conceive in a shorter amount of time when you when you are ready to to undergo that journey um but yeah generally speaking I think by around six months if nothing's happened then yeah I think that's really helpful because there's sort of two sides aren't there it's often women have said oh well, at least give it a year or give it an x amount of time and I I I believe in the power of knowledge do you know what I mean and knowing mm. where you stand yeah. is is helpful but you know other people might be like oh well then that might add unnecessary stress because you're stressing about our results so it's kind of it's really hard but I actually think that that's really interesting saying after six months for sperm a good idea let's talk about the sperm tests and the basics so what do you offer at the male fertility clinic and if someone was to come to you for a basic sperm analysis what could they expect Mm-hmm. So the semen analysis looks at basically the quantity and the quality of the sperm which are being produced. So um, the metrics we cover, you know, sperm concentration, the motility, and there's a couple of different categories um, for motility. Could you just explain what they are? Because it sounds like a bit of a foreign language. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> if, if you don't mind, you could just explain what it means. I think that'd be really helpful. Yeah, of course. So the sperm concentration, um, you know, the concentration of cells that are present per milliliter of, of fluid that you've produced on the day. So how much sperm is the body producing? If that's low, you know, what might be the reason for that? The sperm motility, which is uh, about the sperm's movement. Um, so we're most interested in the sperm, which are what we describe as progressive. They're sperm that we observe under the microscope. They'll be moving um, in a forwards and a linear direction. They have to be moving at a certain speed. Um, obviously, the movement and uh, the motility is a really important factor. The sperm have got a bit of a journey to go on to reach the egg. Mm-hmm. And then we also look at the morphology, which is about the shape and the structure of those cells, um, also referred to as the normal forms. So, yeah, that's another assessment we do. And if we notice that there might may be any sperm which are misshapen or they may be missing some of the structures needed to penetrate through the egg on their own, um, then that will be... Um, you know, pop down as, a, as an abnormality. And it's a relatively low number of sperm, you know, normal sperm that we're looking for. It's only 4%, um, wow. which really shocks a lot of people because they say, oh, so that means I have 96% abnormal sperm or maybe even 98 or 99% abnormal sperm. And that's wow. that's the normal range. That's um, what's considered Gosh. normal by, by the WHO. Yeah, I mean, so, if people um, could it's a see, miracle that any of us are here, really. Yeah, <laughs> I was also just going to say, if, if people could see our faces, just then totally, yeah. <laughs> totally dropped. That's yeah. really surprising. Yeah, it is, and it's a really, it's a really strict criteria. So all of those three main parameters, we, you know, hope to see all of those fall into the normal ranges. We're given a set of ranges by the World Health Organization, um, and typically. If we see all of the parameters fall into that normal range, we can assume that it would be likely a pregnancy could be established within that first 12 months. That's what's classified as normal. Obviously, there's no guarantee. And, you know, we'll have to take into account the um, health of the female partner as well. But if any of the results are suboptimal, say, you know, the motility comes back low or or something like that, then we would use that time with the patient to talk about things we can try to improve um, that parameter and, you know, put them in a a better position for trying that. Yeah, generally speaking, if a couple have been trying for 12 months, um, that's when we would maybe look at, you know, further testing, um, you know, further things we can do, next steps. um, And if none of those things seem to be um, having a positive effect for the patient, 
then we might look to IVF and and, and those sorts yeah. of situations. But there's a whole host of things we can do in between that. So it's the first thing is is the basic sperm analysis, uh, mm-hmm. which which shows you all you know everything that you've been talking about. Olivia, you probably will know better than me, but I think the really nice thing about sperm is you have you know you have real power to to change it unlike the female you know you're born with your eggs you you know you can't there's only so much influence you can have on them but actually sperm is regenerated from fresh every three months so this you know this is when the power of having a little bit of knowledge you know what is you know what is the volume what is the motility in you 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 potentially can really positively have a good impact on on making it better quality. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something I try to encourage all of our patients um, to really do the work. It's And it is work, you know, um, yeah. you make, sometimes making these lifestyle changes is not something that people want to do. You know, I've even had people say to me, oh, does smoking really make that much of an effect? I just need to know because I don't really want to cut it out. And, you know, also I don't want anyone to look at a report and and think that's completely stagnant. There's nothing I can do to change it. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of stuck with that result. So, you know, we have to think about, okay, how has your health been over the previous three to six months you know what are the influences there um, and what can we change going forwards um, and you know we have repeat patients in sometimes it can be very minor changes that can make a huge difference um, you know sometimes a more significant change and um, you know a, a really positive outcome so sometimes we get baby news which is fantastic and lovely um, you know especially if we've made some recommendations for that for that person a new batch of sperm every three months mm-hmm. so you know, kind of yeah. a, a real chance there to change things. Amazing. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we know that you can get your sperm tested through the NHS. Is there anything that you do a little bit differently? Anything you measure? So d- depending on sort of which NHS uh, clinic you visit, there, you know, there'll be variations. Some providers won't include the antibody test, um, which is a, an additional test which we do. And that helps us to understand if there are any antibodies in the semen which can actually attack your own sperm. Um, wow. And so if you've had trauma or injury in the testicular area, sometimes these um antibodies can present um, and then it's not necessarily something you can see on the surface um you know without doing this additional assay but what it can mean is that the sperm agglutinate um and what that means is they all kind of bind to each other um, and that can affect the you know the numbers of free moving sperm in the sample so you know that has an effect on fertility in, in that sense so um that yeah that's a really important um assay wow. say, to, to get that's covered so um, yeah so is it only caused by injury, these antibodies, or is there anything else that could cause them? It's usually injury. It's it's injury, mm-hmm. you know, any any kinds of trauma. Um, if you've had a surgery, quite often we'll see in patients who've had um, perhaps a varicocele surgery or perhaps they've had a vasectomy reversal, something where they've had, you know, an operation in that area. Quite predictably, actually, we, we'll see antibodies there. Um, we can kind of assume that actually yeah that's so interesting Mm. I want to talk a little bit about so 
we've gone for the say we've gone for the test and we're getting our results back and I know that they can be so varied just like with for women as well and it's very hard to kind of comment on individual cases but it's just I'm kind of intrigued as to what is the most common diagnosis or recurring issue that you're that you see within the results at your clinic that's a really difficult question to answer (laughs) actually because it is because it is so varied um and you know the things that people are presenting with are are entirely different you know things can range from no sperm at all which is obviously not good you know it's, it's something that we hope not to see very often but we we do unfortunately you know sometimes the parameters can all be low sometimes it may just be one or two things it's it, yeah it is really really a range if you say for example if you've got a hidden infection within sperm how can that impact your fertility because often people don't find out about that until they do go for a test mm-hmm. yeah so um it depends so the infection obviously that could be something which is underlying you know the patient may not even be aware um that there is an infection there um so we may see that reflected in poor semen parameters we may also see that you know the level of white blood cells is raised um so if that were the case we would suggest perhaps going and having some further testing done a semen culture or a, a semen microbiome test but if there is infection you know think about the environment in which those sperm are being formed and created mm-hmm. um if there is any infection in there then that can obviously damage the cells um you know and, and we can see that in the in the semen analysis so it's, yeah it's definitely a a, a worthwhile follow-up yeah and the other one I just want to ask around is borderline because we had experience of borderline sperm which we were like well what does that mean how do you change that recover from it but I do feel like there's within this conversation there's lots more that men can be doing and I feel like that it's more sperm's a bit more flexible than eggs is that (laughs) do you know what I mean (laughs) which is I'm, I'm surprised at because it's it's actually quite encouraging how much of an effect that you can make I think if we do see a patient who's borderline. I understand it can be confusing in terms of the reference limits. Okay, am I in the normal rate, normal range or am I in the abnormal range? And sometimes when people see those ranges, they kind of think that's the line between fertile and infertile. Totally. And it's, you know, it's not as black and white as that. But when we see a report which shows the result is borderline, there are, as you say, there are a number of things that we can do to try to hopefully improve those parameters to the point where they are in those normal ranges what I kind of uh, relate to everyone is that even if you are on the borderline or even if there are one or two things which are on the lower side there is still a chance of pregnancy you know it's 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 not that you shouldn't be trying or it's dangerous to try or these are the sorts of questions that I get asked regularly and um, but it's all about what can we do to optimize you know what can we do in, in this process to to optimize it's it's not this is the result and that's it it's this is yeah. the result today what can we be doing moving forwards and we see time and time again you know changes in in sperm quality and there's natural variations and there's life life is happening the situations are changing you know the amount of stress which might be going on can change so all of these things can can have a real um you know effect on sperm quality and should all be taken into consideration when reading a report brilliant i i think we we should talk a little bit more this about um infections because Pip, you touched upon that. But I think it'd be interesting, especially for our listeners, just to get a bit of clarification. So a basic T 
theme and analysis doesn't pick up if there's an infection. Is that true or false? And could you tell us about what, if you suspect something like that there is one, what, what can then someone do about it? What test, further testing needs to be done? Yeah, so the semen analysis doesn't actually detect um, any microorganisms at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we may see a rise in white blood cells in the sample. Obviously, that would be a response to a possible infection or inflammatory condition within the body. We all may, we also may see a rise in the pH levels of the semen as well. Um, and then quite often that will be paired with damaged sperm you know the, the, the morphology of the sperm for example may you know be affected by that so if it is something which we suspect um we would suggest um, speaking with your gp you can then be referred hopefully for a, a semen culture um or a, you know a seminal microbiome test and that will actually pick up the actual present micro microorganisms um within the semen mm-hmm. and then be treated accordingly um you know based on the outcomes of that Let's say, for example, we were to see perhaps the sperm concentration was lower than the reference limit. We would then be thinking about things we can do to investigate why um, the body's perhaps not producing as much sperm as it should be. One of the reasons for that may be um, the hormone function. So we will soon be offering in clinic blood tests from from the new year. But in the meantime, there are other clinics where you can go to um, have your hormones checked. So let's say there is a hormonal imbalance, the testosterone, FSH and, and, and LH, which are involved in the, the semen production. If there is an imbalance there, then that should come up on a blood test um, and you know, it can be treated accordingly. Something like hyperthyroidism or, you know, hyperthyroidism can affect um, the semen parameters as well. So that's definitely an important thing to to get checked, particularly if the sperm concentration is low. Let's say a couple have been trying for a baby for six months. The semen analysis comes back as, in brackets, normal. How important do you think like a culture or a microbiome test is for someone to have I do think it's an important test to do but you know especially if you you know you have been trying for a certain length of time particularly if you've perhaps experienced you know sadly if you've experienced a miscarriage or you know recurrent miscarriage if you're in that sort of position if it's very very early days and you're just you know trying to gauge where you are and you're you're just curious then perhaps not you know maybe just the basic level testing is is good to just provide you with a bit of information but if you are further down that journey um and you're looking for extra answers and as you say sometimes the semen analysis might be completely normal and i actually think there are a lot of men that are happy with that you know they've kind of done their bit they've ticked it off they've okay it's not me yeah and 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 that's great. Whereas you know, by doing this extensive extensive testing, DNA fragmentation is the other one. You know, it it may look completely normal on the surface, um, but actually, there may be a root cause as to why, you know, you are experiencing miscarriage, a reason why you're not falling pregnant after a particular <laughs> amount of time. Olivia, could you just explain what the DNA fragmentation is, and at what stage you would do that, and what it shows, please? So DNA frag. If there are um, breakages in the DNA um, of uh, of the sperm, then that is associated with increased risk of uh, failed fertilization, um, increased risk of miscarriage. And so, again, maybe not something to be carried out in those very early days. But if you are a little bit further down the line, 
everything appears normal on the semen analysis and you're not really understanding, you know, why you're not falling pregnant, you know, why have we had a number of chemical losses or, or, or early losses, um, then a DNA fragmentation can be really, really um, important. And then if there are high levels of DNA fragmentation there, again, you've got those test results there and you can then explore the ways to try to reduce that level of, of DNA frag. Even if you were to go for IVF, those changes that you make and that improvement in the DNA frag could really change your outcome. Um, you know, because the chances of actually being successful with IVF are actually quite low. You know, so anything you can do to to optimize the sperm quality, you know, will put you in the best best position of a of a successful outcome. I think that's really helpful. Thank you. Obviously, we've, you've touched on a few holistic, well, complementary therapies. You've mentioned uh, earlier about sort of mushrooms and about herbs. Is there a holistic approach to male fertility, like with for women? So, for example, you know, we were recommended to have acupuncture and obviously you've got your supplements and, you know, your diet's really important, maybe other things to kind of calm you, um, teas, you know, all that type of stuff. Is there is there a culture of that practice within male fertility as well? Well, I do talk about <laughs> these. I do talk about these uh, sorts of areas with men. Um, I don't know if they're as attuned to it all, and you know, kind of believing in it all as as much as as women are. But that's not to say that they aren't to be, you know, encouraged, and um, you know, it doesn't stop us from referring people to these um, services. You know, you do get people they want to try absolutely everything in this kind of natural sphere before or if ever going down the medicated route. So, um, you know, we'll talk about acupuncture and reflexology and, you know, sometimes even herbal or Chinese medicine. There's also functional tests as well that can be um, offered to our guys. So seeing like a functional medicine practitioner or, you know, a nutritionist to really, really do some extra functional testing, you know, Mm. look at the microbiome, look at oral health, um, look at toxicity testing, you know, things like this really trying to get to the root cause um, and then heal heal the body through nutrition through supplements through stress reduction um i think those are so valuable those tools and um it would be nice to create you know awareness i suppose um around those treatments and how they can be beneficial for men i still think we've got a little bit of a way to go in terms of I don't know if they are hugely popular right now, not as much as they are for women, but yeah, we can't definitely, we definitely can't deny the the power of them. Is the one maybe in particular that you really believe in or that you kind of really champion as a option maybe for, for listeners? Is there something that, you know, they could recommend for their other halves or, you know, their friends who are going through fertility issues? I, I really, I, I guess the main thing I probably talk to people about is nutrition. I'm not a nutritionist, I, you know. Maddie is. <laughs> know about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that, it, again, it can be a minefield. And quite often I'll speak mm-hmm. to people who say, oh, I eat well. And it's okay, that's great. But when you actually look at a very, you know, specific diet and, and and it will be completely different for everyone. That's the thing as well. So I can speak and say broadly, you know, the types of foods and things to be eating. Um, but again, you need to look at something bespoke. Um, and I think, you know, healing through food and, and, and through diet is something which 
people should really, really look into um, when trying to Im improve sperm parameters. Um, so I would I would suggest speaking with a nutritional therapist again, you know, having a tailored bespoke approach to the supplementation as well, because it's not one size fits all. Um, no. And um, I, I think that's that's definitely the main thing that I'd get people to focus on. If you're going to spend your money on on anything, you know, any kind of external treatment, I would definitely say nutrition as, as, as the first base. Brilliant. I think we've still got such a, like a long way to go, haven't we? Mm. Like we need to start educating young males at schools, you know, the power of uh, you know how nutrition, lifestyle can affect sperm. And I suppose, you know, in your practice, do you see lots of differences with your with the males that you're working with cultural differences are you seeing barriers in ways that you have to you know support people honestly I could I feel like I could write a book about all of the interesting stories and conversations <laughs> that I have with men and because yeah. I'm so I'm obviously so immersed in it it's my job it's you know what I've been doing since I finished uni everything is kind of the norm to me so when people say oh I didn't realize about that or I didn't know about that I think really I thought every, I thought everyone knew that <laughs> Yeah, there is definitely still this wall up that people have. Um, I think for men, you know, we've kind of been taught from a young age, haven't we? Just have sex the first time, you're going to fall pregnant. And <laughs> men feel like it's their job, don't they? They, they feel like it's yeah. their job and it's, it's part of who they are to, you know, impregnate the the partner and when that doesn't happen as they've been taught their whole life at will um that can be really damaging to you know how they feel about themselves and you know quite often men are not really talking amongst each other about these things they find it embarrassing and that's you know that they internalize all of that and that's actually detrimental to them going and you know seeking help and the support that they need um you know definitely amongst different faiths and religions and you know ethnic backgrounds um you know when religion comes in into play as well there's lots of expectations on the men once you get married we should have a baby you know nine months later and it doesn't really work like that all of those different um, factors that i've mentioned doesn't change the fact we're all human you know we're all going through this journey um you know you can't assume that you're going to find this journey easy just because you're of a certain background or a certain age or anything it's it's something which can affect everybody um but yeah I definitely think schools it's got to start in schools colleges you know whatever is a a sort of suitable age I guess the same age as sex education really yeah, um, you know just definitely. the the two and two you know they come hand in hand don't they and just really informing men that in your early 20s you know have fun enjoy your life but just have in the back of your mind because I think as women we we have things in the backs of our mind you know how it may affect us later in life but I'm not sure if men really have have that just because they don't have that information no, I think definitely more needs to be done. I mean, so, I mean, it, when I was at school, I had no idea actually that what I did would affect would affect my fertility, and I actually wish I did. So I feel there needs to be more understanding for both males and females. But do you feel like we had maybe at least an idea of how age can affect us at when you were younger, or maybe it is because I'm so immersed in it. You know, I I don't think done. I did, but I mean I'm mm. 41. I I really feel like sex educate. It was minimal when I was mm. in school. Pips, I don't know about you. Yeah. From first hand, I actually went. Me and my sister, we did a bit of nutrition. Talk. We spoke to teenagers about periods and how nutrition affected their periods and their cycles. And 
goodness me, it's a tough age group to educate. It's such a sensitive topic. And I left thinking, crikey, this was, it was tough. (laughs) I was really tough. I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I I also think that we we haven't normalized talking about fertility from a young age. Therefore, I feel like it's very much sort of, especially if you're at your teens or your 20s, you're like, oh, I don't want to think about this now. I don't want to think about this now. But the fact is, is actually, you know, not to worry people or to kind of instill fear in people. But I think it would be much healthier if we had an approach that was really gentle. And, you know, it did talk to people Mm. about tracking their cycles and, you know, their periods and also thinking about Mm. fertility, because, you know, there was nothing at school for us at all. Mm. And, you know, you get to sort of your late 30s or whenever you're thinking about, oh, I might I might think about having kids now, having been sold, we can have it all. And, you know, go after that career and focus on all these different things. And then you're like, oh, actually, I should have thought about this sooner. Why did no one really mention it sooner? Uh, mm. I feel like we've got a, a responsibility to engage and to have those conversations in a really positive and lighthearted yeah. and- fun way not in the the way that we have to sort of you know yeah. later on in your 30s where it does feel a bit doom and gloom and it does feel like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders it's can be quite tricky getting male partners or men to cl- to clinics and to sort of test for fertility do you have any final advice or pointers for anyone who might be struggling to get men to play their part as in a partner and how, yeah. to, how to get them to engage. <laughs> I, I guess it comes down to resources and inf- information and also for men to have this realisation that they're not unique, you know, they're not the only ones that, that are having to do it. There's some really good documentaries and things which are sort of coming out on TV. That can just kind of ease them into it a little bit. Yeah. Again, as you say, it doesn't need to be all doom and gloom. It doesn't have to be a blame game. It's just... How do we arm ourselves with the knowledge, make sure that we're well informed? We're not jinxing anything. We're just making sure that we know where we stand, Um, you know, rather than getting to the point where you're a year or two down the line. As I say, things by that point can get a lot more. It's a lot more complex by that point. So, um, yeah. Is there a specific documentary that you could share potentially with, 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 uh, with our listeners or something that you think might be helpful? Yeah, absolutely. There was one on Channel 4 a few months ago. It was called Celebrity Save Our Sperm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if you caught it, but... No. Yeah, it's really good. You should watch it. And it has the BBC radio presenter on there. And Ollie Locke. Yeah, Ollie Locke. Yeah, Melvin. He's a good friend of mine, yeah. Russell uh, was it? Russell Kane was on yeah, there yeah exactly it. so oh, it was really interesting. interesting yeah really interesting because they did their initial semen analysis they then went on like a 10 week lifestyle you know upheaval and um, yeah. was, were retested at the end and they were really reputable um you know uh, consultants on there so um Dr Jonathan Ramsey was on there he's one of the top oh yeah yeah um, Melanie Brown um, she's one of the popular nutritionists yeah no and her. yeah it just goes it just went to show you know it was obviously very light-hearted but I think Ollie was going through IVF at the time and he yeah. was smoking a lot and he had a failed a couple of failed rounds I think and he's a he's just had twins isn't he a couple yeah of, yeah months ago so it just went to show actually you know the serious side of it how those lifestyle factors can have a real change and they also did things like cutting out caffeine. Um, I think Melvin had to, he was wearing so many clothes in the gym, like really overheating. <laughs> um, he was eating so many sweets and, and things like that. And um, yeah, it was it was quite dramatic, actually, the, the improvement, some of their test results. So I think it was just a really good way of illustrating that. Yeah, I, hopefully there are more resources out there like that going forwards for guys. 
Olivia, thank you so much for coming on What the F Fertility. That was so insightful. Thank you, Olivia. Honestly, it's amazing. I think what's so refreshing from this talk is a lot can be done. Ice the balls, get some supplements in, yeah. and you can improve things. <laughs> yeah, and in a, in a three-month time frame. Yeah. I think it's it's yeah. really, really encouraging how much you can actually have an effect on male sperm health. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. The first thing is to just, you know, be informed, know where you stand and know that there are a number of things that you can do to change things and put yourself in the best position possible. So it's been really, really nice to chat. Thank you so much for having me. Brilliant. And if anyone wants to get in touch with the clinic or wants to come in and have a test, who should they contact? So just go to our website. It's www.themalefertilityclinic.co.uk. We are located literally right outside um, London Victoria Station. So a super central and really accessible for anyone. And you can just pop on there and book an appointment. So this episode, we have a partner, which is very exciting. And Maddie has spoken about the importance of vitamin D for fertility on the pod before. So this week, we've partnered with Vital to give you a special discount code. Vital specialise in personalised vitamins. And it's actually really cool. You take an online health quiz and then they tailor make supplements based on your needs, goals and lifestyle. You can also do the at-home blood and DNA nutrition test that allow you to see which vitamins you might be more susceptible to deficiencies in, which could affect your fertility. Now, their vitamin D comes in small tins or the regular 60 cap bottles. I've taken it before and love the tins because you can just take them out and about with you. So if you need a bit more vitamin D in your life, which is vital for both men and women, see what I did there, Mads? Their vitamin D comes in either small tins or regular 60 cap bottles. Now, I've taken it before and I do love the tins. So if you need a bit more D in your life, which is vital for both men and women, see what I did there, Mads? Oh, yeah. So look, vitamin D is especially important for both fertility in males and females. So head over to vital.com and use their code WTFFVITL20 for 20% off. Now it's that time in the podcast where we hear from our resident fertility nutritionist, Maddie, in her fertility corner. Mads, what have you been cooking up for us this week? Brilliant. Thanks, Pip. So listen, in this episode, Olivia spoke about the role of antioxidants and how that they help reduce oxidative stress and how that they can improve sperm parameters. So one of the antioxidants I want to talk to you about today is lycopene. Now, lycopene is an antioxidant found in tomatoes, and there are studies shown that it can improve sperm health. So you can find them, lycopene, in supplements, but you can find it in your tomatoes. So guys, get your tomatoes out, make sure they're cooked. You know, you can have them in soups, fry them up with some lovely extra virgin olive oil. You can even have a spoon of tomato paste to get that lycopene hit. So there you go. Get it in your diet three or four times a week. Your sperm will thank you for it. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you found this episode useful. And as ever, if you have any questions, please do get in touch with us on Instagram. You can find us at Soul Sisters Fitness, at Pips underscore Taylor, or at WTF Fertility. 
We'd love to hear from you. And of course, don't forget to rate us and subscribe if you can. We look forward to seeing you next time. Oh,